Welcome to the second episode of the 751 Podcast. I'm your host, Carter Laren. Uh, some of you might not have heard the pilot episode. Apparently, Apple is still reviewing the episode. Apparently, they listen to each podcast, or at least when they start. Uh, at least that's what the documentation said. So um, if you are looking for it on iTunes, probably can't get it yet. But it was about uh, privacy and the Apple FBI debacle, specifically Obama's uh, answers at South by Southwest when he spoke about that. So uh, if you if it's not on iTunes yet, by the time you hear this, uh, both this episode uh, and that episode should also be on SoundCloud and I think in Google Play as well. So in the meantime, you can always go to 751.com. It's spelled out S-E-V-E-N-F-I-F-T-Y-O-N-E.com. And that's it. So let's let's start tonight's episode. It is uh, it's March fourteenth, which is the day after uh, the primary. So we're going to talk about some it's of the not primary March votes. Fourteenth. Yeah, it is. No. Okay. Well, I haven't even introduced you yet. Let's introduce Katrina. Uh, Katrina's our new guest. Guest. Uh, Katrina Redelsheimer. Hey. I'm Katrina. I'm great with calendars. She's great with calendars. Hold on. Let me see what my Mac says. My Mac says it's the 16th, so I'm just, Boom. Yeah, boom, I'm retarded. Okay, so, oh, maybe uh, Monday was the 14th. I don't know why I wrote the 14th. Okay. Uh, it is the 16th. Thank you, Katrina. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself other than that? Wait, I was going to call you a millennial, but I don't know if you're... Do you consider I am, yourself a millennial? I am technically a millennial. I like to reject the title and go with uh, Gen Y instead, but it, according to Wikipedia, they're synonymous, so I'm, I'm just fronting. I thought Gen Y was like a little bit older than a millennials. That's what I, I, I swear the first time I checked Wikipedia, Gen Y and millennials were separate, and yeah, it was just a little bit older, uh, but then more recently, I, I guess they've just decided that we're one, we're one collective Maybe mass. the millennials just uh, went and changed it on Wikipedia. So uh, <laughs> anyway, um, Katrina, do you want to plug anything like I don't know, any blogs or anything else, or, or do you just want to say that you're Gen Y and be done? <laughs> um, I, I like to think I'm a little bit more than Gen Y. Uh, I don't necessarily need to plug anything, uh, but I'm very happy to be here, and yeah, thanks for having me. My uh, Just so people know, I guess, my, my background's sort of in the mass statistics, economic side of things, and I work in insurance, uh, so we'll probably have a lot of business, business numbers, business stuff uh, going on. Wow, an insurance person. This should be super exciting. I can't. <laughs> like, what an awesome second episode. <laughs> Thanks, Katrina. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm asleep. Okay. Um, okay, so it's not the 14th. It's the 16th. Yesterday was the primaries for uh, a bunch of states, and, uh, you know, Marco Rubio dropped out, as I mentioned. So we're going to talk about the primaries a bit. But before we do, Katrina requested that we deal with some of this there's some issues surrounding Breitbart. Uh, for those of you who don't know Breitbart, it's a news outlet that's uh, overtly conservative. And they, aside from some of the recent uh, issues they've had with someone alleging to be assaulted at a Trump rally and Breitbart not defending one of the reporters, apparently we'll talk about that in a minute. They also There was also a local issue here in the San Francisco Bay Area 
Um, basically, what happened? Well, actually, Katrina, do you want to describe it? I mean, I can yeah, describe sure. it. Yeah, sure. No, I can take ahead. it away. Uh, yes, you guys are lucky to have a podcast episode because uh, Carter and I were supposed to be at this Breitbart event. It was actually going to be the first Breitbart event in San Francisco, and uh, Milo Yiannopoulos was supposed to speak there. It was going to be hosted at a venue called the Chapel, which is a place I actually haven't been before, but uh, it's in it's in the Mission. It's on Valencia. It's kind of a happening, you know, part of town. People. People go there, but, you know, people like it there. Uh, so they set up this event, and, you know, I think uh, quite a while ago it was scheduled, right? It was booked. I don't know. I saw it a few weeks ago, but I don't yeah, know when it was Yeah, many originally. weeks ago at least. Uh, but amazingly, on uh, Monday, so two days before the actual event, the venue contacted the organizer of the event and said that he was canceling because We Are Bright Bright is considered a hate group. And the reason he found this out is because a local newspaper, uh, well, it's not really exactly a newspaper, but SFGate, um, which I believe is owned by the San Francisco Chronicle, um, contacted him telling him, hey, do you have any commentary on this story about a hate group that's giving an event at your venue on Wednesday? Care to comment? Uh, (laughs) Nice. Yeah. And Making the news. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, you know, the, the owner proved to have no backbone whatsoever and was like, hey, what? I don't know. They didn't tell me. They just said they were Republicans. Well, it has since come out that the event organizers have email documentation where they stated clearly who they are, what group they were representing. He had this information weeks ago and could, you know, it's private property. By all means, make a judgment about who you want to allow to book a venue, right? But when you agree... It's kind of shitty to agree, though, and then back out. Correct, exactly. I mean, that's when it gets into, like, well, I mean, it's probably a violation of his contract as well because when he canceled the event, he claims that it was about capacity issues, but there are easy solutions to capacity issues, right? Issue tickets. Just don't let more people in. Don't let more people in. Events deal with this kind of thing all the time, and and my... This is me speculating completely here, but I imagine the reason he did that is because there's... He's probably not contractually allowed to just back out because he changed his mind about whether or not he liked the group, you know, with, with two days notice, which was not enough notice to turn things around. So of course, you know, Milo flew out here for no reason. A whole bunch of people came into town for the events that now have nothing to do. And we are going to reschedule it. You know, we're not going to be silenced uh, for long, but we have been silenced temporarily. And that's sort of, that's sort of the way of things, you know, it's, um, I don't know. At least well, I mean, basically it was basically what you're suggesting is that some reporter from SF Gate, who didn't like Breitbart and was like, I'm just going to go make them go away by uh, pressuring the venue owner and saying it's a hate group and kind of, you know, when a reporter comes and says to you, hey, you're doing this thing with a hate group and I'm going to write about it, that's that's a lot of uh, pressure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's tough for a venue. And you're a venue owner, right? So... Uh, you must deal with this kind of stuff all the time. I right? mean, I, yeah, I'm, a, I'm more of a I'm more of an investor than an owner. I don't do day to day operations, but yeah, I imagine if uh, if someone from a a major publication in the in the Bay Area came and told us, "Hey, this thing that you're doing is a hate group, and I'm going to write about it that way," can you comment? I'm sure we might uh, feel compelled to change our minds about what we were doing there. Right, or at least look into it. And yeah. that's uh, it's one of these issues that in recent years has really come to concern me uh, because uh, I, I don't know if we're allowed to say the O word on here. But Wait, what's the O word? <laughs> objectivism. I know. Oh, you well, can. I mean, I, yeah, no, I don't care. Carter sells sex toys, so the O word means something different for him. 
but <laughs> yes, <laughs> but exactly. I do come from <laughs> I do right. come from um, you know objectivism as like a community and a background and and things like that. And I I've been very frustrated with the objectivist response on free speech issues because they consistently fall back on like well it's private property, right? Facebook starts censoring boobs and conservative speech, and Milo Yiannopoulos is unverified on Twitter, and all these different you know creeping definitions of hate speech are implemented in the private sector, right? And, uh, and, you know, objectivists just keep, for the most part, just keep saying, well, it's private property, it's private property, you can do what you want. It's, I don't think that's a good well, enough answer. Well, I mean, answer. that is, it's right, it's technically true. It is private property, and yes, they can do what they want, uh, but also we can say that what they are doing is not a good idea and say that it's wrong. So Right, um, and not the, just not a good idea, but it's, to me, it's I mean, straight up cowardly, right? I mean, Yeah, I'm the issue I have with Twitter and it. Facebook for that kind of stuff is more that the implication is that they're a free-for-all, so it feels like it's a free-for-all, and they kind of present themselves as being this open forum while silencing the people they don't like. Right, they want to have it both ways. Right, but they let the crazies on the other side uh, say well, whatever yeah, they want. On top of that, there's bias, right? I mean, personally, I I don't really... if Even if both fringes were censored equally, I wouldn't be okay with it. And I realize I'm using censorship in a way objectivists don't like, but deal with it. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Private, privately censored. Pri privately censored. But, uh, you know, for me, I wouldn't care. If you want to say that you are an open forum and present yourself as an open forum, then be an open forum, you know, that you have to be on both sides. So the fact that it's bias is just sort of like an extra, you know, kick in the shins with all of this. Yeah. Um, but we can say that without saying that someone should use force to force Twitter to change. Like that's, I'm not saying that you should force Twitter to change. So I'm I'll push back saying, a little in oh, that. Really? Okay. I, well, I, I do think that there is potentially a fraud type element right? If they present themselves as though, maybe I think for example, in if a they, court, they would win that. I think though, um, I could be wrong. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer. Um, and I, and I certainly don't know anything about the laws kind of governing this stuff, but for, for people like Milo, for instance, whose business is very heavily dependent on Twitter and they have this identity and they built up this thing and he has these terms, right. That he's supposed to adhere to. Uh, and you know, according to him, he didn't violate those terms when he got unverified and he gets no explanation as to why it's a little iffy to me, you know, whether, uh, he, I think he could at least go to court if not, if not win. I, I think some of them start to push across the line. I mean, if Trump's saying that he handpicked uh, teachers for, you know, the Trump Entrepreneur Initiative, a.k.a. Trump University, um, and, and he didn't, in fact, right, if that's fraud, then to me, we're starting to get a little close to fraud when uh, companies like Twitter are, you know, telling people and telling people, inviting them to come and help generate revenue for Twitter by, uh, moving their brand onto their site, right? Only to kind of cut that out from under them without. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't a know. Proper justification, I guess. I, I'm, let me play a little bit of a devil's advocate here, right? Because Twitter doesn't actually. I've never seen Twitter say, "Hey, we're a free forum where anyone can say anything they want." And who knows? I haven't read the terms of service. It's probably they can. You know, they probably own my firstborn child. Technically, <laughs> you know, whether that's legally enforceable or not, I, you know, I don't know. But um, I would certainly. I would certainly agree that it's wrong and shady to do what they're doing. Whether or not I would argue that there should be legal ramifications, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that would be tough, and frankly, I would be worried about the precedent that would set. Yeah, um, but, fair enough. You know, regardless. Uh, but in the actually, lame do you and consider shady. yourself like a conservative and? Uh, 
Breitbart person? I do not consider myself a conservative. I definitely was when I was younger um, and kind of kind of pre-objectivism, I guess. Okay. Um, and, you know, I actually don't follow Breitbart that much. I'm, I'm a little bit of a Milo fan girl, but it's not really like uh, he, he's just this larger than life sort of personality. And he, he kind of yells at people that I think deserve to be yelled at. It's not like a super intellectual, um, endorsement on my part, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, uh, for those who don't know, he's at Nero on Twitter and he is a gay conservative Brit with dyed hair. who's very well dressed and quite funny, but he also has built a brand basically around, as you're saying, uh, saying things people don't want to hear in a very shocking way. And yeah. Um, and going after social justice warriors, yeah. you know, he was involved in Gamergate and all that kind of stuff. He's a big anti-feminist, uh, pro men's issues. In fact, you told me something very interesting about him earlier that I didn't know that he started a scholarship for white men, right? Yeah. Straight white men or all just white men? Does I it? don't know. I think it's just all, <laughs> all, I think it's just all white men. <laughs> Uh, which is pretty funny. I think it's called the Privilege Grant. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he does that branding. kind of what? He's got great branding. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he cut, he does that kind of stuff that gets you that gets in your face and is kind of making a point. Right. And whether you agree with him or not, uh, I think most reasonable people would agree that he should be able to say what he needs to say or wants to say on Twitter and on other platforms. But. I guess. Or in events where we paid for the venue and booked it many weeks in advance. Right. And when you have plenty of time to decide that. Yeah. So yeah. on that note, uh, Jack Knowles, that is the owner of the chapel. You are a coward. And I hope I get a chance to tell you that's your face sometime. Well, don't want to sound like a dick or nothing, but uh, it says on your chart that you're fucked up. Okay. <laughs> well, wait, is there anything else we wanted to cover on uh, Breitbart? I, I guess... There's the Michelle Fields thing. Should we talk about that at all or no? Uh, yeah, good, good little segue into, you know, our our first candidate. Of course, you have to you have to cover the Trump first. OK, right? so let's yeah. So let's do that. Hold on. Let's just switch to talking about Trump here for a second. So as I mentioned yesterday, which was not the 13th, but was the 15th. Uh, yesterday was the presidential primaries in a number of states. And uh, the results were I think many people were surprised at how well both Trump and Hillary did. But let's talk about the the Republicans first. Um, basically, Kasich, 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 I don't know how to say his name. I don't care. Uh, he, he won Ohio handily. But Trump won everything else, including Florida, where he basically kicked Marco Rubio's ass. So Marco <laughs> Rubio was like the... the uh, Florida was his state, right? He was a senator, a senator and yeah. he expected to really do well. And Trump just crushed him in Florida. Yeah, it's almost like Rubio is a lightweight or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but he does, at least his hands are big. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, Trump Trump really, really did well. I think, however, you know, just talking about the, the Republican primaries generally, Kasich's Ohio win does make it, a little bit more difficult for Trump, and and suggest that there might be a contested, uh, contested convention. But let's, you know, Trump has right now, as of this recording, 673 delegates. Uh, he needs 1,237 to uh, to get the nomination. The next person after Trump is is Ted Cruz with 411, and then uh, Kasich with 
143. I'm just going to alternate between Kasich and Kasich, and half of them will be right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Actually, so Trump. It's yeah, <laughs> right. Kasich. Trump. Trump can can do it, uh, but uh, he he easily he easily could end up in in a contested convention because because Rubio's out. The guess is that a lot of his supporters will go to Cruz or or would you call him Kasich? <laughs> uh, and uh, if that happens, then Trump could very well not get to the twelve hundred and thirty seven he needs. And you know, I guess the race is more. More interesting and unknown, but it does look like Trump has clearly got a, a pretty viable shot at becoming the Republican nominee. So in terms of Trump and Breitbart, which is why we started talking about this, uh, so everyone, I think we've all heard all of these stories in the news lately about how uh, the Trump supporters are all uh, white supremacist. Yeah, definitely racist. Yeah, they're all racist and they're all violent and the Trump rallies are very violent. You can tell how racist I am from my voice. I'm also male and from the South. What do you mean, you people? Yeah, I mean, so they're all, they're all, uh, they're all racist and they're all, they're all violent. But Trump, the the other thing we're hearing is that Trump is inciting this violence, right? People are talking about what he's saying on stage. And this kind of all came to a head as far as Breitbart is concerned, is concerned with a conservative reporter uh, named Michelle Fields, who claimed that someone at the Trump rally assaulted her, and she and Ben Shapiro, another conservative reporter at Breitbart, ended up resigning over this issue because they didn't feel that Breitbart was supporting them enough. And Breitbart has, I think, explicitly endorsed Trump and said that they're pro-Trump, and as far as I know, Michelle Fields and Ben Shapiro are not Trump fans, so... There could be something a little bit deeper here, but uh, the ostensible reason is that she was allegedly assaulted at this at this Trump rally. So, I mean, what have you heard about this, Katrina? And what, maybe we should talk about some of the facts because there I have heard from a lot of people. And just to be clear, I'm not uh, I'm not a huge Trump fan, although I do like to have accuracy in reporting. So, I'd like to hear. You know, I'd like to maybe talk about what's actually happened. Do you want to talk about some of the history you were telling me about? And maybe we can even listen to some of the things that Michelle says. Sure. Uh, so specific to, you know, obviously there's a bigger issue that's come up with the Trump rallies and, you know, mostly Sanders, as I understand it, uh, counter pro- or protesters showing up and causing disruptions. Um Potentially, this has led to some heightened security concerns. You know, Trump, even before all this was happening, was uh, one of the few primary candidates given uh, Secret Service protection. That's not a given, uh, you know, most of the time. Right, right. But but I guess he has enough people showing up at rallies or he's controversial enough that they decided to give him protection. Correct. Yeah, that they decided to give him protection. So so the guy literally does not leave his house without wearing a bulletproof vest and and hasn't for basically this whole election. Um, So, you know, there are a little bit of background, right? So uh, at a rally, Michelle Fields was there and uh, I can't remember the name of the town. It was in North Carolina. Well, we can look it up right now. So it looks like it's uh, Jupiter, Florida is where this rally was. And she's claiming that the campaign manager for Trump, uh, Corey Lewandowski, uh, grabbed her arm so hard she was bruised and uh, as she attempted to question the candidate. Is that is there any more that you want to add? Right. She, she had a slightly more colorful statement 
uh, that she gave on Megyn Kelly's show. Do you want to read what Michelle has said about this? Sure. So Michelle Fields posted this in her article on Breitbart.com. Uh, she says she, she says she went to ask Trump a question about affirmative action and quote, before he could answer, I was jolted backward. Someone had grabbed me tightly by the arm and yanked me down. I almost fell to the ground, but was able to maintain my balance. Nonetheless, I was shaken, unquote. Okay. So kind of a big deal. Yeah. It sounds like a pretty big deal, right? Yeah. I mean, and she makes a big deal about it later. Do you want to play the, the clip? As oh well? yeah. Okay. Here we go. This has to be, aside from my father's death, the worst experience I've gone through. So that's that's pretty serious. In fairness, at that point, she's talking about including the backlash of all of this. I see. Uh, okay. You know, not not just being allegedly yanked down at the rally, but now uh, you've seen the videos here. I'm not as up to speed on this as you are. You've seen the videos and you've looked at this a little bit more. Um, is is she right? Frankly, there's no way. There's just no way at this point. When the story first There's broke, no way to know or there's no way that there's she's no right. There's no way that she's right. There's okay. there's simply no way. I'm it's totally possible that the bruise on her arm that she photographed and tweeted was caused by this uh by by whoever grabbed her arm. It is also totally possible that it's not, but as far as was she yanked was anything Anything outside the norm for being people moving through a crowd, which is what was happening, even a normal crowd, never mind a crowd where Secret Service is involved, uh, there's frankly just nothing there. And and it kind of makes sense because uh, this original quote of hers that, that we read, it was pretty prominent when the story first broke, when she broke the story herself, right? Right. Almost thrown to the ground and everything like that. Yep. Suddenly, they're not repeating that anymore, right? They're not they're not talking about that part anymore because now multiple videos have come out, and they don't confirm that part of the story. Yeah, so I mean, I, lo- I looked at the videos with you, right? And it doesn't. It kind of looks like just there's some guy moving f- through the crowd in a little bit of an aggressive manner. How you know you move through the crowd, you grab people and and yeah, and, and just and kind of move forward. them out of the way. Yeah, sure. And you know, was it a little bit rude? Yeah, it looks like maybe he was being a little bit of an asshole, but. Uh, I honestly wouldn't you know, I don't even know go what that I, far. I don't know what he was doing. Maybe he was, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I and looked so, at it and I was like, there's someone who needs to get somewhere. You know, maybe they're important. Maybe they're running for president. Who knows? Uh, you know, <laughs> sure. Maybe they're and, and there was a secret service there, protect, you know, doing whatever. Now, look, you know, I, you know, I, I don't want to support assault. So let's, let's, you know, look at the other side of this a little bit. There's a reporter who's claiming that he is a witness and that she's telling the truth. Correct. The Washington Post reporter. Right. Yeah. But, Again, the video kind of shows that if she was assaulted, let's put that in air quotes, uh, it certainly wasn't as bad as she said. Now, the, the real issue, though, I think the reason that this is a big problem for people isn't that this particular little thing happened, is that it's that the the Trump, the violence of Trump rallies has been in the news a lot, and people have been accusing Donald Trump of right. inciting violence. And, you know, this is just kind of an example that people can point to. Now, uh, you know, we can get into we can get into a whole discussion about how uh, when people are assaulted uh, <laughs> by the left, it's never really reported at rallies or, or anything. But uh, let's put that aside just for a second and uh, and talk about this issue. You know, is Trump inciting violence? Because you and I discussed it really briefly. We haven't talked about the elections at all yet until a few minutes ago before we started. So uh, I don't actually even know where you stand on everything. But you uh, you were telling me a little bit about the research you had done there in terms of Trump's inciting violence, and do you want to kind of 
mention that or talk about that at all? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a bit of a challenge to do because so many accusations get thrown around. And if you really want to see the whole picture, all you can do is watch the full 90 minutes of every rally that he's had. Because that's the only way to get the full context, right? That's the only way to see, you know, it's, it's easy to get to the point where, you know, someone started throwing punches and they're getting ejected by security and Trump makes a comment about it. It's easy to pull that out and say, you know, look, Trump's inciting violence. It's another thing to see from the beginning of the rally to see what kind of disruptions are going on. You know, what is like the cumulative effect that he's responding to and that gets cut out by you know people like Rachel Maddow making their little segments uh you know spicing this thing taking kind of the worst of the worst seeming things out of context which from my perspective are not actually even bad (laughs) well so let's talk about that for a minute because there is a difference between how Trump talks about protesters at his rallies and things and how other candidates do now to set the set context I think and correct me if I'm wrong but based on what I've seen uh over the years Candidates on both sides often have security guards. And if you're disruptive at a rally, guys with muscles move you out of the rally. Muscles and guns, yeah. Yeah, and that just happens. It happens at... uh, Now, it actually doesn't happen as much at... uh, I don't think it happens as much at uh, leftist rallies because conservatives generally aren't as disruptive when they protest. Uh, They generally don't make a big stink at least from what I can tell. By the way, just to remind listeners, I'm neither a conservative nor a liberal, so I don't have a, I don't have a horse in this race, but conservatives tend to protest by you know, writing articles or being annoying on Facebook or something, or maybe they show up and hold the sign. They're, they don't generally smear themselves with red paint and scream at people and try and bully their way around in rallies. Sometimes they do, obviously, but to a less, to a less extent. So we don't see, you know, you don't see as much of this, but but if you go, you know, go to a Bernie Sanders rally and try and... and uh, make a big stink, you will get forcibly removed by security. Yeah, one would have to assume, right? I mean, no, I, we don't even I have haven't to assume. personally we're, we're tested sure it, but yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that seems to be how these things work. So, but but the issue, so but but so, but Bernie doesn't say like other candidates, even on the Republican side, don't really say anything about it. They just kind of pretend that it's not happening or Correct, yeah. or whatever. And, and we Trump don't see doesn't. it on video because the cameras are pointing at the candidate, right? Right. So you see everything Trump's saying, but no one's pointing a camera out at the audience and seeing what's going on out there. So it's really difficult to sort of even assess whether Trump is dealing with unprecedented levels of disruption compared to other candidates or whether they're typical levels and he's just choosing to handle it differently. Right. Which is separate from the question of whether how he's handling it is good or bad. Right. So I think, you know, I think we would reasonably have to assume that, well, and we don't have to, but I, I think it's probably unlikely that protests are being handled any differently at Trump rallies than they are at any other large gathering where there's disruptive people. At least by, from the security removal perspective. Yeah. I, I think that's yeah. fair. And then there are cases, there are cases I know where people have uh, actually started throwing punches first and then been removed, and the video that shows up online conveniently doesn't show their initiation of force. It right. only shows the security guards using force to remove someone, and so and people make a big stink about that. So, you know, I would I would guess that probably the the violence at the Trump rallies isn't really much different than anywhere else. However, I think the thing that people are really upset about is his treatment of it, right? Because everyone right. else kind of ignores it, and Trump is like, yeah. You know, I, I want to punch him in the face or whatever he says, right? right. And um, 
And that's unusual to hear from a candidate, frankly. And I think it's scaring a bunch of people. Do you, you know, I have an opinion about that, but I'd like to hear, you know, you know, frankly, Katrina. You know, I've missed your rants. Yeah, I've missed your rants. So please <laughs> rant for me. All right, I'll, I'll give it a go. Uh, well, I'm, let me address a sort of specific segment of the population's reaction to this, we'll say, right? So I, coming from objectivism and all that, I see a lot of people from objectivism. I see a lot of people from libertarianism. And on the right, a lot of people who historically have been sort of very pro-self-defense, you know, pro-guns. They will be very outspoken when liberals want to take your guns away and things like that. And then all of a sudden, this thing happens and there are people who are initiating force against you and someone says, yeah, I want to I want to use retaliatory force. And suddenly that's not OK. And I'm struggling a little bit with figuring out exactly what it is that they think doesn't make it OK. Uh, you know, I maybe it's the political context. Maybe it's somehow you're supposed to be above that kind of behavior, although I don't understand what it means. I mean, if someone broke into the president's home, is he supposed to be above? Yeah. I mean, back? so you and I both are Stefan Molyneux fans and, and he has a a way of describing this, which I really love, which is, uh, you know, you, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of butcher it. He says this much more eloquently than I do, but he basically says, look, you know, it's actually wrong to have higher moral standards than the people that are uh, interacting with you. So if right. they're treating you really poorly, if they're hitting you, you're not doing anyone any good by taking the moral high ground and not hitting them back. Right. Right. So you, you, you basically, and I think a lot of people understand this, right? You know, if someone walks up on the street and starts beating the shit out of you, you don't turn the other cheek as much as we like to, in much as this is a Christian culture and everyone likes to talk about Jesus, you, you know, you hit them back. Right. And so, but the thing is, you know, even Bernie Sanders is hitting back. He's hired security guards who are hitting back and pulling people out of, and I'm not citing a specific example. I'm just, you know, if you want to test this, go to a Bernie Sanders rally and start throwing punches. I guarantee you'll be escorted out violently. So, um, you know, but he wouldn't say anything. He doesn't say anything about it, right? Right. Um, Trump is actually just saying, basically, yeah, you're going to come in and use force against us. We're going to use force against back you. I want to, we're going to force, use force back against you. Right. And I want to punch the guy in the nose. And frankly, you know, if you're holding a political rally at a venue that you've paid for or have an agreement with, and it's your event and it's private space in a closed event, uh, you should be allowed to escort people forcefully, you know, using reasonable force, you know, not punch them, but you should be able to escort people for any reason, right? Now, uh, you know, I, it's weird to me that the left feels like they should be able to interrupt and yell without getting forcefully removed whereas if someone on the right were to show up and do that to Bernie Sanders you know they would they would probably be forcefully removed by the crowd <laughs> right to say the least uh, I mean it kind of calls back to what you were talking about earlier right where you know that our Breitbart event was canceled but it was the venue owner who decided to cancel it and he has you know the right to do that subject to the terms of the contract and if you're talking about a Trump rally you know if people didn't buy tickets to go especially right so they they, they have no they have no right to anything. They have no right to right. be there, right? It's someone, it's whoever paid for it. And in this case, that's would be Trump, you know, self-funding his campaign people. Uh, you know, he gets to kick people out. And, you know, I mean, so that doesn't necessarily fully answer the question of whether it's moral or not. Uh, but that is why I say that these disruptions are the initiation of force. I think some people, you know, that that's an extreme statement. I don't think people necessarily immediately see how that's true. Uh, but it is, but it is, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's one thing you're walking on the street, it's public space, other people can be there and they're, they're not initiating, initiating force until they hit you. But if they come into your home, 
right? Or they they're come initiating in, force by coming into your home. By coming into your home, yeah. yeah. Or if you invited them into your home and then they start waving their arms around and you know yelling and doing things that you find unpleasant, you ask them to leave and they don't, then they're right. initiating force. And if you don't do something about it, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I'm just starting to find it a little difficult to have sympathy for people who won't stand up for themselves, right? Uh, you brought up Sanders and what happens when you disrupt a Sanders rally. We actually have um, an instance of that, and it's probably a little bit different now, but at a very early Sanders rally, a couple of Black Lives Matter activists actually took the stage and took the mic away from him, and he surrendered it to them, and he walked away. And, oh, so I'm wrong. He doesn't uh, <laughs> He doesn't I, he's forced to remove people. I'm not sure now. I mean, like, you know, again, I'm not sure people are just not protesting or if they're, they're going and being more surreptitiously removed. Uh, but he did, you know, hand, he did hand over the mic. And, uh, to me, that is incredibly pathetic. I, I can't imagine why. I mean, it's at least it's consistent with not believing in property rights. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I can't fault him on that point, at least for consistency. Uh, just, uh, consistency is only a virtue if, uh, the principles you're being consistent to are virtuous principles. So (laughs) yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So, um, you know, I mean, maybe, uh, Maybe I should go to a Bernie Sanders rally and see if I can wrestle the microphone from his hand and give a little lecture. And give about. our podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, I claimed it as my podcast. No, no, as well it's good. Now. It's our, this is our podcast uh, today, so it's good. Yeah. I believe you get your ass kicked saying so much, like that, man. Yeah, probably we would get our ass kicked. So, um, okay, look, let's uh, let's you know, <laughs> let's move on to uh, some other candidates because as much as uh, Trump is a spectacle and a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, there are other Republican candidates to talk about. There are. Uh, well, <laughs> there's at least, there. I guess there's Cruz. I mean, we do, I guess we can skip Rubio because he's useless at this point and out of the race. Darn, Rubio is the only other one I know something about. Well, you know, and then, I mean, Kasich uh, actually is playing a role here. But I think let's talk about the only other kind of potential front runner here, which is Cruz. Um, <laughs> potential president of the United States, people. A Canadian <laughs> wow. Yeah, sure. Um, trolling, trolling. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're totally trolling. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'd vote for Canadian. I'd vote for Stefan. Yeah, uh, I would. I would as well. Uh, but I don't. Think I actually Stephane. wouldn't actually do that to you, Stefan. I'm sorry. Stay yeah, home. Actually, Stay no, home that's and true. love your kid I don't think he would videos. ever run for president. Don't do it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> don't vote John Galt. Yeah. So, so um, okay, but let's let's move on and talk about Cruz. Uh, you know, Cruz has. Cruz hasn't been performing very well in the primaries. And so, I mean, the only way, it looks like the only possible way Cruz could win is through a contested uh, contested convention. Um, a lot of people don't like Cruz. I don't know, let's see, what are his, what are his chances to, to win an election against Hillary based on the latest polls? Because it looks like she's going to be the nominee. Okay, so according to Real Clear Politics, it looks like... It's uh, neck and neck, basically. Cruz edging Clinton out by less than a percentage point, which I'm sure I don't see it anywhere, but I'm sure is within the error of the poll. So, you know, Cruz, Clinton, uh, you know, totally, totally neck and neck. But uh, but if we look at Trump versus Clinton, she's she's beating him by six percentage points. So, I mean, from the from the Republican establishment argument, their argument will be we have to nominate Ted Cruz because Trump doesn't have a chance to beat Hillary Clinton. Now, uh, I think you could argue against that, but what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I I guess I, in general, have kind of a tough time with polls. Uh, one challenge with them is uh, it's not 
and I, I, could, I don't know if this is the case with this one, but we do have the electoral college system in the U.S., right? So it doesn't, you don't have to win the popular vote to win. In fact, you don't usually win the popular vote to win. Uh, so, you know, Clinton maybe does very well in some states that no Republican was going to get anyway, and maybe Trump does very well in some swing states, and that might make it more likely that he would win, uh, you know, compared to maybe Cruz. Uh, the other thing is it's <laughs> Trump hasn't even started on Clinton yet. Yeah, so that's the thing. I, mean, I, I don't think he's going to go easy on her. No. Uh, and, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Cruz, the thing that bothers me, I mean, a lot of things bother me about Cruz and um, – but I mean, one of the things is he's, you know, I touched on it in the last podcast, but he's simultaneously talking about how he's a constitutionalist and then also seems to be taking a lot of positions that aren't constitutional at all on, on several issues, not yes. the least of which is the Apple versus FBI case that we talked about right. earlier. So, um, you know, Cruz, I, I think for Trump, I don't, think he is a constitutionalist and I don't really know where he stands on on anything but uh you know and I'm not sure I'm not sure he wants us to know yet so <laughs> um but but for for Cruz you know he, he's someone who's trying to take a very principled position and you know not all of those principles are something that at least I agree with and I think some of them aren't even uh consistent so I, I don't know I don't uh Honestly, I'm a little bit bored talking about Cruz. So that's the um, thing. And that was you know? completely different. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, are you? You're bored too. So uh, I think everyone's gonna be bored, and that's why I have a hard time with this uh, Cruz beats Clinton poll numbers. I I just yeah. Okay. Fair. I'm so let's switch. Already. Let's switch to the fun, the fun and exciting Democratic primaries. I was shocked. So let's look. Up, if you look up the the primary results here for uh, for the Democrats yesterday, you're seeing you see that Hillary Clinton. I mean. In the past, you know, Bernie's won a little bit, and it's been kind of neck and neck, and she's been edging him out. Uh, yesterday, it was Florida, Illinois, Missouri, North Carolina, and Ohio, and Clinton just trounced. I mean, she won everything. Uh, I guess Illinois was close. Florida was a blowout. Missouri was close. Uh, but North Carolina was, a, was, was pretty much a blowout, and, and Ohio was pretty much a blowout. So I'm surprised at how well she did. Um, but that could be my anti-Hillary Clinton bias. Um, yeah, I'm surprised that Hillary is not in jail. So well, she may be before this is out. But uh, I, I guess, and it's you know really demoralizing to the entire Bay Area. I guess who all seem to be feeling the burn, and I'm sure they're very angry at this. Um, but you know, I think Trump and Bernie are both tapping into something that's very similar, which is this kind right. of anger about the system. Yeah. And if you don't understand economics at all, you're a Bernie Sanders supporter <laughs> and, and angry. And if you understand economics a little bit and can put aside your fear of what the hell Trump's going to do, you're a Trump supporter. Right. And if you understand economics and can't do either one of those things, you're probably just saying, fuck it, I'm not going to vote. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think in, in Bernie's case, you know... <laughs> This whole idea that you know he's he's walking around saying, well, it's democratic socialism, it's not socialism, which is like, okay, so you voted for socialists, it's not really any different, right? Um, and I, you know what, I think we should have a thing because no one ever talks about. Uh, everyone's always afraid to talk about Hitler on the internet. I think we're gonna try. I'm gonna try and invoke him in every single podcast. Can <laughs> you right. remind me, Katrina, what what 
does uh, what was the Nazi Party's name again? Uh, I, it wasn't exactly Democratic Socialist. It was National Socialist. Yes, National uh, Socialist. National Socialist. That sounds yeah. that sounds right to me. Yeah, I think it was the National Socialist. And uh, but was Hitler elected? I don't remember. I think. Yeah, I'm I kidding. I totally remember. I think yeah. there was a vote. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was totally elected. <laughs> I, yeah, it was Hitler. Was like so. Look, I mean, I think I don't think uh, Bernie Sanders is, is Adolf Hitler. So don't go saying that anyone. But uh, you know, the, this this idea that that socialism works, and you know, the whole idea that it works in Europe, in kind of the Scandinavian country countries, is just patently false. I mean, they I, they've gained their they gained their wealth when they loosened up their economies and became more conservative, and then as they start to tighten them. Uh, they start to live off of the success from their conservative days and start to go into debt just like the United States. So, I mean, there is no, you know, there's no actual evidence that supports socialism anywhere in history uh, when you actually look at kind of the long-term effects on a country. So it's kind of shocking to me that an avowed socialist is even getting any kind of play. Uh, And I'm wondering if that's the thing that has stopped Bernie from beating Clinton. I see what you mean. So you think that there's enough of an element that's still, you know, as as much as we might see maybe among the younger crowd, you know, the student loan crowd or the Bay Area crowd, this seemingly sincere enthusiasm for pure socialism that the the majority of the population, you know, wants some sort of middle ground. And Clinton seems like that middle ground. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, look, there's a lot of people who will just never vote Republican, especially when you've got, um, you know, when you've got someone like Trump looking like he's going to be the front runner, because Trump scares a lot of people, frankly, just because he is arrogant and doesn't shy away from uh, saying he wants to punch people in the face who are disrupting his rallies and, you know, says a lot of, uh, I guess, says a lot of things that when when taken out of context can uh, be used to amp up hysteria a lot. So, in, I, you know, people are, a lot of those kind of people are never going to vote Republican uh, if they see Trump there. So, you know, then they, they, they're going to turn to the Democrats. And, you know, I don't, I don't think Hillary Clinton is very many people's first choice. But I think they're looking at it like, well, you know, maybe they're afraid of the word socialism. And so, you know, Hillary is kind of what they have left. But the difference here is um, with Bernie Sanders, he's really popular among millennials, Okay, so here we are. So even though Clinton is kicking Sanders' ass generally, um, Bernie beats her among millennials 54% to 37%. So, I mean, I think that tells you something about the next few elections, right? In that maybe, you know, maybe there are a bunch of Democrats or moderates voting Democrat who... um, you know, don't like Sanders because he's talking about socialism. I think the younger voters uh, don't seem to care about that, and and maybe in in eight years there'll be enough uh, there'll be enough support that someone who says they're a democratic socialist can can win the the, Demo- the democratic primary. Right. Well, I think part of the question is really going to hinge on the economy on that one. Uh, reason being, people tend to become more conservative as they get older in general. But part of the reason that that happens is people tend to start out in life, you know, not particularly wealthy or with a lot of debt, you know, needing to take on loans in order to sort of get a start in life. And then once they've gotten to positive net worth territory, you know, their priorities kind of shift. Once they start having kids, their priorities start to shift, things like that. 
But what we see with the millennials and what seems likely to continue is, you know, high rates of unemployment, not necessarily actually getting these jobs, therefore not getting out of debt, not having kids until much later. Uh, so yeah. this this typical move to the right that happens as people age is maybe not going to happen. And even though our population isn't expanding the way that it once did, at least not through, you know, births of native born people, um, it's, you know, the the sort of the immigration patterns that are happening are also like all sort of in favor of the Democrats. Um, yeah. So that that part of the population is clearly only going to keep growing. And um, yeah, you, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's not Sanders 2016, but it could be, you know, Sanders 2024. Yeah. I mean, I think he'll be in a crypt by then. But yeah, <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah. Or some Sanders proxy. Right. Because, right. Uh, yeah, I think we should have we could have an entire show about education. <laughs> um, but you've got a lot of these Ooh. these. Yeah, we could. But you, you've got a lot of these millennials who were told that. Uh, you know, going to school will give you a job that will pay a lot of money, and so you should borrow a lot of money to go get a useless degree in college, and you can go major in social justice or, you know... And then get a job in social media. Right, and so, yeah, and then you can... Instagrams for a living. Right, you can... I just want to write memes, but the the CEO of Yelp won't let me do that, and he has bad snacks in the snack room, right? You can... (laughs) So, I mean, you've, you've got this attitude that, hey, I did the things I was told I needed to do, and to some extent, it's... Uh, millennials are really only responsible for being gullible, right? They were told in, you know, many of them, you go to college, it doesn't matter what you major in, you'll have that piece of paper and then you're going to have this dream job. And that's never been true ever. And uh, it still isn't true. And what's happening is, you know, they are going and getting useless majors. I mean, you know, if you go to major in something like social justice, uh, the fact of the matter is, as important as you might think that is, and we can have an entire show on how unimportant that is later, but even if you think that's really, really important, um, uh, by the way, I really feel like I run a rant on social justice, so stop me, but I think social justice is an oxymoron. If there's justice, uh, <laughs> and there's society. But, Read Thomas Sowell, people. Yeah, fair. But um, anyway, you can go and major in social justice, and you might think that's really important, and that's fine, but... Uh, the marketplace doesn't value you don't you you can't provide a lot of value with expertise in social justice right so you know if you're not going and majoring in engineering and learning how to code or majoring in uh, you know chemistry and going to work for Pfizer or something you're not you, when you don't produce value for society you don't get a paycheck in return and so it's really hard to go major in in a useless major and then end up you know, expecting that you're going to go get a nice paying job and really you're, you're at McDonald's. And you know, you're hitting on something that for me is really fascinating about the American brand of socialism, which I do think has sort of arrived at this point. Uh, but, you know, traditionally under socialism or under communism, you're supposed to be serving society, right? You're supposed to be serving society as a physics PhD digging potatoes because society really needs potatoes right now. But, uh, you know, in the, Ameri- in the American brand, it seems to be the opposite. It's society needs to serve you, right? You need to be able to get whatever kind of job you want doing something of no use to anyone, uh, you know, basically right. just en- entertain yourself. And, uh, and that's kind of interesting because, like you were saying, I mean, the, the capitalist principle, right, which is viewed as selfish and self-interested and all of that, well, you know, you, you don't get anywhere if you don't convince other people to voluntarily support what you're doing, you know, with 
with their own money that they made by convincing other people, you know, that, that what they were doing was valuable. And it's not about like, it's not like you're obligated. I mean, sometimes people talk about this stuff. They're like, ah, go learn something useful. Go learn that. Go learn this. Go learn that. Like, you don't have to do that. You can find a way to convince people. Please don't go to the government and get a gun and force me to support, you know, your social justice warrior job or whatever. But if you want to make I don't know, a popular website and turn into a career where people, you know, want to come see you. I don't like it. I'm going to fight against, you know, you and try to convince people not to agree with you. But I'm not going to physically stop you and, and no, absolutely, like yeah. more power to you basically, right? Like that's how you do it. I mean, yeah, it's and, like and what the if coding we're totally jobs wrong? were invented what too. If, yeah. What if we're totally wrong and like uh, pushing for some of these social justice or, or even, um, you know, diversity reform agendas in corporations? What if we're totally wrong I mean, I think there's evidence that we're not. But what if we're totally wrong and that massively increases productivity? Well, then you should be able to go find a job and someone will pay you to fix right. their company and increase their productivity. In fact, I will be the first person to come to you. Yeah, me too. On my knees and say, please come increase the value of my company. Yeah, I may not be on my knees, but yes. Uh, I'll yeah. be on my knees. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, so we have this this group of people who are, you know, going and thinking, I just need to go get this piece of paper and everything will, uh, you know, everything will be now fine. There are plenty of tards out there living really kick-ass lives. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the other issue, though, is this, and Stefan Molyneux has spoken about this, and I think it's, uh, it's worth pointing out. You know, if you, if you look at the value of a college degree, it's a, a large percentage of that value is really in the fact that you got into college, right? It's somewhat of an intelligence test. You're not allowed to issue, in the US it's very difficult as an employer to actually require an intelligence test in order to hire someone. Uh, there's laws against it. Now, the army is allowed to do it, um, and they do, and actually the police are allowed to do it, and they're allowed to filter out people now who are too smart for the police, which is funny. Oh yeah, um, fun times. Yeah, but, um, but as a private employer, you're not allowed to, to deliver an intelligence test. And if you think about it, Let's say you're into social justice and you uh, you think the system is is rigged against certain classes of people. Um, an intelligence test is actually the most accessible, cheapest way to uh, like have, let people with no resources get decent jobs. I mean, you know, you can have you know no educational background and not have afforded to go anywhere, but be a smart person and go get a job somewhere. If 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 an intelligence test can be uh, one of the main criteria for for employment. And right. And I mean, the beautiful thing about IQ tests is they have nothing to do with education at all, right? We give them to well, two-year-olds. Well, here's what they do have to do with education. Um, the SAT is a proxy for an IQ test. So getting Correct. into a good university basically just means you have a higher IQ. And instead of letting someone spend zero money and just go prove to a pro an employer that they have a higher IQ by taking a test, you have to prove to an employer that you have a higher IQ by going and getting into Harvard and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and going into debt. And you take that piece of paper to an employer and the employer basically uses college as a proxy for IQ. Right. And, you know, if the social justice warriors really want to fight against something, you know, I think what they should be fighting against in this respect is basically, hey, let's let employers take intelligence tests and let's stop pushing college, which is expensive. And uh, in many cases, you know, depending on your degree, largely economically useless. It may have value to you personally, but in many cases, it doesn't have a lot of use economically in terms of your ability to go get a job. And so why are we pushing all these kids through these this college 
experience. And, you know, Bernie wants to do it, quote, for free, which basically just means, you know, everyone else is going to pay for it and it will probably cost eight times as much as it does now. <laughs> um, just, uh, you know, like every other government program. So, but this idea that you can kind of push people to college and that magically makes them more intelligent or more successful is just not true. Um, right. And, and again, I'm recording a lot of Stefan Molyneux here, but uh, he's a great guy. By the way, you, sh- you can go to, go to fdrurl.com uh, and, and listen to his podcast and donate to him if you agree with him. Or even if you don't, I don't care. Donate to him. Uh, but, uh, you know, he uses this analogy where uh, saying that going to college makes you smart is kind of like saying uh, you, do, you can just take short people and put them on a basketball team and they'll magically become tall. That's not right. how it works. Exactly. And I think it's interesting, you know, talking about the the college graduates and their sort of struggles and how many of them are turning to Sanders. Many of them seem like they're also turning to Trump. Not as many as are turning to Sanders, but Trump by far is the front runner among millennials with the Republicans as well. And, you know, you could debate whether that's because he's maybe more on the left than the other candidates or for another reason. But personally, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that he is concerned about American jobs in a similar way to Bernie Sanders, you know, whether you agree with it or not is, is kind of another, another issue, but something that he is addressing. And, and on top of that, he gets to be sort of a, like an icon of success, right? I mean, not that he, he, it's not like he started out in the gutter or anything like that, but he's someone who made something of himself consistently and and very much, very publicly for a long time. And uh, I think there are people who are inspired by that, you know, coming out of college today. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and you know, one, one other thing that just came to mind is, um, I think we've, I think we're, we're seeing something right now that's the culmination of generations of work by basically Marxists. You've, they've taken over, they took over education a long, long time ago, and they've pushed. You know, they tried to push Marxist philosophy through supporting communism, and when that became very difficult to publicly support because it became obvious that communism fails, um, they started to just kind of rebrand it as socialism and kind of push the same ideas. And, uh, you know, that kind of philosophical change takes quite a long time, and I think we're finally seeing the kind of graduating class of this educational, sh- this this. Uh, product of education, of government education, which is, it's taken generation after generation after generation of, you know, raising people uh, with Marxist slash socialist ideals, having, sending them back into academia, having them raise people, and we're kind of, finally that it's flowering, so to speak, into this generation of people who think socialism is a great idea, and, you know, to some extent, if you're uh, if you're a Marxist and you've been hoping for this, if you're, you know, if you're a 98-year-old Marxist who's been working on this your whole life, you've got to be smiling right now and saying, like, yeah, this is, yay, it's coming to fruition. The thing that I, the thing that I've been working for so hard is finally here. And if I were going to point to the strongest evidence that Donald Trump is not just the Republican Bernie Sanders, it's that Bernie Sanders has specifically as one of his missions on his platform to create pre-kindergarten public education available to people on the basis that ages from zero to three are are known to be the most formative in our lives in terms of you know how our brains develop he literally wants to get the government into your children's brains and donald trump on the other hand wants to get rid of common core wants to you know to some extent privatize at least you know bring school choice type measures back 
those aren't the actions of a true statist. Uh, you know, a statist understands that the apparatus that enables the furtherance of the state is a public education system, you know, is having, uh, even if you can't control the parents, you know, you can control the kids as long as you control the teachers and they control the teachers. And now they want to, now they want to control basically the daycare providers. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm the boss of my own brain. So give it up. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I mean, I I think you're right. So, okay, well let's, let's move on. Cause we've, I think we've covered, uh, We've covered everything. Do we have anything else we need to talk about tonight? I mean, we we covered uh, we covered the Breitbart thing. We kind of talked about Bernie and Hillary a little bit, uh, and we certainly gave Trump his due. Um, you know, it's been an enjoyable conversation for me. Is there anything else that you want to add, Katrina, at the end? Because we're probably running kind of long. I don't want to bore the hell out of people. This is super long. Feel free to drop off, guys. I'd be interested to hear your predictions, who you think's going to take the nomination and ultimately the presidency. I think Trump will take both. I, I agree. I don't necessarily think he's a statist, by the way. I think he's a populist more than anything else. Um, although I, you know, I tend to think he probably, I know there's a lot of cynics out there who think that he's just doing this for his ego. I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, if I had $10 billion um, and, you know, okay, people argue maybe he doesn't have $10 billion, He has $1 billion or $2 billion. I Fine. If I had $1 billion, right, uh, I don't think I would want to run for president. It kind of sucks. Uh, it would be a lifestyle downshift to have to be in the fucking White House and Secret Service and, like, you know, work on all these hard problems all the time. And, like, I, you know, there's other stuff I'd rather do, having to be, you know, in front of the media all the time and be beholden to, uh, not beholden to, but uh, having to constantly explain yourself to the public uh, and dealing with a bunch of difficult issues and be have your, your private life thrust into the public spotlight and have your life just right. dissected and everyone talk crap about you all the time. I mean, that would kind of suck. And he doesn't need, like, you know, it's not like the, the it doesn't like Air Force One impresses him. It's not like he gives a shit about the lifestyle because he already has that lifestyle. So I think he's probably running because he thinks he can do some good. Now, I wish that he were more philosophically sound. Definitely. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I, I think he's just kind of a pragmatist, but, uh, but I don't think he's doing it for his ego. And I think the reason that I think Trump can win, even though the, the, the polls that we just showed say that, you know, Clinton wins in a general election against Trump is, uh, is precisely because I think he's been very careful so far, which I know is weird to say about him because he seems very sloppy, but I think he's been very careful so far about, um, where he, like what stage of the election he's in and who he's talking to and how he's talking. And I think, you know, he's speaking at like a fourth grade level right now to, you know, uh, a certain segment of the population that he knows he needs in order to get to where he wants to go. And my expectation, and I could be totally wrong, but my expectation is that he will step it up intellectually just a little bit uh, between now and the Republican uh, convention. And then once he's the nominee, I think he'll step it up even more. And, you know, I would hate to be Hillary Clinton on stage against Donald Trump because he's he's vicious and she is not. I actually think it would be easier for Bernie against Trump yeah, because, I agree. you know, Bernie's consistent. He's you know, I know that, you know, people don't like to you know, people on the right don't like when you compliment him and say that he's kind of consistent and honest. But, you know, the guy, Bernie's pretty consistent. Uh, you know, he does. He's certainly nowhere near as uh 
as dirty as a lot of the politicians uh, that you see generally. He's just wrong and bad, but he's consistently bad, and he's he's bad, got bad principles, and he stands by them. And um, you know, I think people admire someone who stands by principles, even if they're the wrong principles. And so I think Trump might actually have a harder time with Bernie, whereas Clinton is just clearly just also a pragmatist grabbing for power with right. uh, way more dirty laundry than yeah. than Bernie has. I mean, there are so many skeletons in her closet, uh, both literally and figuratively, some would argue. Uh, skeletons have skeletons. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I'm, I don't <laughs> want to be a conspiracy theorist. I don't think there's actually any evidence, <laughs> uh, any uh, beyond a reasonable doubt evidence there. But, you know, clearly she has done some pretty shady things. Um, even if you just look recently, I mean, I've written about this actually in um about her issue with the email server um you know if i had been you know i used to have uh, a government clearance used to have a government job and if i had mishandled classified information the way that she has i would be in jail yeah you and i would never have met no i would have been in jail and i may have been tried for treason right um and so you know i think I think people kind of, as much as everyone says, well, we don't stop talking about the emails and it's a non-issue, I think it is an issue, and I think, uh, and that's just one of many issues with Hillary Clinton, and I think he's going to be vicious about that issue, and she may very well be uh, under indictment during (laughs) the the campaign, you know, maybe not, but the fact is, she's calling Snowden a traitor for taking a bunch of classified information, and... And not really even publishing it, just giving it to some reporters quietly. I, there's not really any evidence he gave it to any foreign governments. Um, right. But, you know, she's calling him a traitor for that. And at the same time, she basically took a shit ton of classified information and made it accessible on a server that had no security. I mean, I'm sure it had some, but compared, to the, some, right, compared but to the security that the U.S. government places around classified information, it you, you might as well just round to zero. Correct. Right? And so it had basically no security. And then named no it uh, clintonemail.com, I believe. Yeah, something like yeah. that, right? So, And, and <laughs> we know it was hacked, and we know that foreign governments got that information, and we don't even know how much and what they got because she deleted a bunch of emails. So like, it's a way worse problem. And for people to kind of gloss over that and think it's not going to affect Hillary Clinton, I think is naive. I think Trump can just really go to town on that. And and uh, yeah, he's got a way of forcing people to talk about this stuff, you know, and he gets the mainstream media to talk about it without them even realizing that they're talking about it until it's too late. And yeah, it's just I think it's gonna be a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, in terms of a circus. Again, I mean, I'm an anarcho-capitalist, as are you. Right. Uh, you know, electing a, an electing an overlord to be my slave master isn't uh, on the top of my priority list. Uh, but I think it would be it'll be a quite entertaining campaign. Certainly, at the very least, and for me, it's more than entertainment. Honestly, I I find it hard to be anything other than optimistic about a Trump run and a potential Trump pres- presidency. I. I, the thing I fear most is the slow, pathetic, sad, endless slide into bland, you know, East German socialism, right? Where, where my, all the color slowly seeps out of my life and, you know, they, and I, everything that I love just sort of contracts and fades, but so slowly that you're, you're like the frog being boiled in a pot, right? Um, And it's too late to jump out and it might already be too late, uh, but 
if it's not too late, the only thing that can fix it is a shock to the system. And I think that there's nothing more shocking than Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of look at this in a different perspective than I think a lot of people who are avid voters and really think that they can affect a lot of a lot through political, you know, you know change. Um, you know, I kind of gave up a while ago on getting anything useful out of the political process. So I don't expect to be able, I mean, you know, the guy or gal that I would want is never going to be elected. Someone who's going to be like, hey, elect me and I'll dismantle everything. Like, that's not going to happen, right? So, um, Who would donate to that guy? Just asking. <laughs> yeah. Um, what what big corporations are going to throw fundraisers for the guy who says, hey, I'm going to get rid of all of your favors? Yeah, right. I'm going to get rid of corporate welfare. Like, that's never going to happen, right? Um, and, and, you know, and and that's just on the corporate side. And then on the public dole, who's going to, you know, hey, I'm going to get rid of all your benefits. Uh, that's never going to happen either. So... Um, yeah, Social Security done, pensions done, right. government jobs done. You know, twenty five percent of the population unemployed. Yeah, right. And and so that's never twenty five is an underestimate, isn't it? Like forty. Anyway, I don't know what the estimate is, but I mean, that's look, that's never going to happen, right? Um, so instead, if I look at this election as a chance to have a culture shock rather than a political shock, Donald Trump becomes interesting because. He is vehemently opposed by the kingmakers, right? The media, the RNC, the DNC. Basically, everyone in the system kind of hates him and opposes him and is scared of, scared of him. And, you know, I think the fears that he'll become some sort of um, Mussolini are over, overblown. I mean, I, I think he's got better things to do and being a dictator really isn't... I don't see that as his agenda. I think he's just being uh, a pragmatist, but he has a particular perspective, which is, um, you know, really anti-political correctness and anti-social justice and kind of a rugged individualist spirit, at least, even if he doesn't fully understand philosophically what that means and how to integrate it. And, you know, if someone like that actually achieves uh, the position of presidency by basically flipping off the media and telling everyone to, you know, fuck off, he's going to do things his way. I think it perhaps paves the way for future political leaders to realize that they don't have to play the game that everyone has played up until this point where they pander to the media and pander to the Republican establishment and that there is a there's an alternative path to affecting change. And maybe, you know, maybe that Trump shock, Trump shock to the system will be a good thing. I don't know, maybe it'll be bad, but I don't see how it could be worse than anything that we've got going now. So I'm just kind of, it's like the patient is dead. So get the paddles out, charge him up and shock his heart. I like, you're probably not going to kill him. Maybe he'll come back to life. You know, it's, it's worth a shot. It's, it's worth yeah. a shot. Right. Um, you know, are paddles a good thing to apply to a healthy person? No, they'll kill a healthy <laughs> person, but you know, we're not healthy. So who knows, maybe there'll be some kind of effect there, but uh, that was a long-winded say, way of saying my prediction. I'm, I don't know, what what is what is your prediction? Uh, basically the same. I think we're going to have a Trump and Clinton matchup, and I, I do think Trump will take it. Uh, so Trump 2016 and uh, Milo Yiannopoulos 2024. That's my prediction. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. My, yeah, Milo would be, uh, would be a fun one to see run as well, but... Uh, are you going to actually vote? 
You gonna go to the polls I, and vote? So I, this is an area I'm still a little bit open. Mathematically, it is very difficult for me to justify voting. I can't imagine being persuaded on you know sort of statistical grounds. But then there's also the question of you know if if you're an anarchist, then presumably you think that voting's not you know our government shouldn't exist. So is it really you know the right thing to participate in the process? I. I mean, I think, you know, you're in a state of system, you kind of do whatever you have to do to stay afloat. So I don't think it's immoral to vote, even if you think that voting shouldn't be a thing, uh, at least not in a government context. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just hard for me to get over that mathematical hurdle of uh, why should I actually take this effort? It's better for me to, frankly, to spend my time. And well, now that I've said this, it's not better to spend my time this way. But it makes more sense for me to spend time trying to convince two other people to vote rather than cast the vote myself. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess um, on the moral question, that's something that I see people make this error all the time. Uh, and, you know, I would like to clarify my perspective on this. I don't even think it's my perspective. It's a philosophically valid perspective, which is when you are in, uh, when you are under duress, when there is a gun to your head, there is not a moral choice. Right. You can't you can't yell at someone and say you have to vote or you can't vote. Uh, because you're in a system where you're you're under duress, and so you do what you need to do under duress. And I'm not going to blame anyone for voting or not voting, um, but uh, I personally just I don't want to vote because I feel like even telling people that I'm voting lends credibility to a system that I think is. I would just rather have. I would actually like to see mass apathy, right? That like right, just no yeah. one go and vote. Um, because, you know, I think, I think that actually might have a big impact on, on things moving forward. Yeah. That's another path that appeals to me as well. Uh, that I think the things like, this is what I like so much about things like Trump not participating in debates because when he withdraws from the system and he show he kind of highlights how people in general have withdrawn from the system. And the more the people withdraw, the less legitimacy it has. Right. I mean, it's easy to look at these politicians and say, you know, they're evil, they're evil people. Well, I mean, they are, but they don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm Hillary Clinton. I'm evil. Or hi, I'm Ted Cruz and I'm evil. Right. They, they need to convince themselves that they are representing the people and that the people want them there. You know, there's a reason every evil dictator on earth gets crowds and crowds and crowds of people to come cheer outside their window, right? Who are they Who are they trying to trick? They're trying to trick themselves. And if we withdraw from that system, we withdraw that sanction, you know, like Ayn Rand would say, sanction of the victim, essentially. Uh, then yeah. that that facade kind of crumbles and, and you know, they, they can't get up in the morning. They can't look themselves in the mirror when it's so clear that, that they're... Um, that they're not doing what they what they claim to be doing, which is representing. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, so yeah, okay. Well, look on that note, I think we've ranted quite a bit on a number of topics. Thank you very much, Katrina, for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, my goal was to make this a little bit better than the last podcast in terms of not rambling on topics, but I think I failed. Uh, I'll we'll re-listen afterwards and see. But uh, in any case. We are slowly learning, and we promise the podcast will get better over time. In the meantime, you can always go to 751.com to check out the latest uh, podcasts. Once in a blue moon, I actually post or write something there, but uh, that's rare. Um, But uh, yeah, please go check it out. And if you like the podcast, share it with people and let us know. Leave comments, especially if they're negative. So just go ahead and release your troll 
And that's fine with us because we just uh, will delete them or we won't read them. So thanks.